I'm just teasing. Does anyone need an extra bulletin? Anyone not get one? I have two left. We're good? Yes, nice to be here. Glad you're here with us this morning. I don't know how much snow we're getting tonight, but please stay safe. Um, March is not going away anytime soon, so it looks like we're, the snowy weather is going to hang on for a little longer. Janine is not here. You'll notice that with our two daughters. She had actually come this morning. We were here, and we had a little episode in the car, um, something I don't really want to talk about because it's something to do with the body. Um, but she had to do a, a U-turn. She, she dropped me off, and they went back home, and so uh, the girls are not feeling very well this morning, but uh, that's why they're not here. I do have a very good friend here and his wife, who's not here. She's actually with Janine, but my friend Aaron is here. Aaron, just wave, wave your hand a little bit. Uh, Aaron is from Michigan. His wife and uh, them are from Michigan, and they're really close friends of ours. Aaron has been my friend for, what, nine years, going on nine years, something like that, really close friends, and uh, he just means a lot to me. So it's, I'm thankful you're here this morning. Um, may God bless the teaching of this word this morning as we get into First Peter chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn there. We've been going through First Peter now for a few weeks, and uh, it's a really, really good and heavy study each week, one that really impacts my soul, and I hope it does yours as well. We have a theme for our First Peter study. Does anyone want to go out on a limb and say what that theme is? I know, right? We're quizzing you this morning. We just started this book not too long ago, so it may not have sunk in yet, but does anyone want to guess the theme? What is our theme for First Peter? Come on, guys. I'm ordained now. I can discipline you. I'm just <laughs> fighting as victors. Does anybody remember that? Fighting as victors is our theme through First Peter. So we're going to notice that once again play out as we look into this chapter here. But the, the title of our lesson this morning is Honorable, Humble Citizens of Heaven. And I want to direct your attention now to the Word of God. Listen to what he says in verses 11 to 25. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that they may speak against you. So, excuse me, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. May God bless the teaching of this word this morning. We came from our last study 
which we call the precious stone of life. And we talked about Jesus being the cornerstone of our life and how important it is to build our soul upon him. So that is where Peter's coming out of. We actually included verse 11 and 12 in our sermon last week, but it's so fitting for what he's going to say today that I felt we had to include it as well. So we're going to focus most of our attention in verses 13 to 25 this morning. And again, we're calling our lesson Honorable, Humble Citizens of Heaven. Did you ever do anything for someone else's sake that you wouldn't normally do? At times you have, right? We've all done that. We've done something for someone else's sake that we wouldn't normally do. I want to share a couple stories here. My wife is not here, but I have permission from her to share these stories. So don't feel weird about them. Um, I'm married, of course, and marriage is a give and take. You guys know that. And there are certain times that I will do things for Janine's sake and she will do things for my sake. And I'm going to share you a couple instances of things that I've done for Janine's sake. Uh, I'll start with this one. Has anyone ever watched a movie for someone else's sake, even though it's not your taste of movie? We've all been there, right? Janine and I, on occasion, have these uh, stay-in date nights, you know, where we still have the kids, but we're able to put them to bed and watch a movie and eat some food and stuff like that. Well, we usually try to pick a movie that both of us like, so usually we do. We usually have pretty good, you know, we sync up pretty well with movies, so that's pretty good, but... On occasion, she wants to watch a movie she likes, and I want to watch a movie I like. But usually, we don't request that. I usually say to her, Janine, it's your turn to pick one. Or she'll say, Todd, it's your turn to pick one. And on this occasion, it was her turn. I said, Janine, it's your turn. Why don't you pick a movie you like? And even if it's one of those girly movies, you know, I'll, I'll just enjoy it. I'll just sit with you and enjoy this movie. <laughs> so she finally picked a movie. She picked a movie that she's, she's watched uh, in her younger days. And so she said, let's watch this movie. So we started watching this movie, and uh, we got about 10, 15 minutes into it, and I was like, oh, this is pretty rough. <laughs> and uh, we got about 20, 30 minutes into it, and it got even worse. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, really, does she actually like this movie? Because it was so bad. <laughs> I mean, epically bad, guys, epically bad. I mean, try to picture a root canal <laughs> wrapped in a migraine headache. <laughs> Are you starting to get the picture of what this movie was? We got about halfway through this movie, and I finally said to Janine, I said, Janine, do you actually like this movie? Because it was so bad. And she goes, you know what, I used to, I think, a few years ago, you know, growing up, and she goes, I don't think I like it anymore. It's pretty bad, isn't it? I go, yeah, it's, it's actually horrible. In fact, I think this might be the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. You notice I don't really get credit for this one. Because I complained the entire way. Actually, we ended up shutting it off. It was so bad. I know what you're thinking right now. You guys want to know the title of the movie, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. See, my fear is that if I share the title of the movie and someone likes it, you know, you guys are going to bounce out. <laughs> and my ordination will be nothing. <laughs> but if you want me to share it, I will. Do you want me to share the movie? Yeah. I'm sorry, ladies. I really am, but I just couldn't do it. Sweet Home Alabama has now become a curse word in our, in our home. <laughs> if I drop something on my toe, Sweet Home Alabama... I'm sorry, I just tried. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. There are some movies I could stomach through. I couldn't get through that one. I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, here's another instance. Um, thank you, Lisa. I appreciate that. Again, there's movies that I make her watch. She doesn't like either. It goes both ways. Here's another instance, though. Janine and I were engaged at this point. We got married in July, and this is probably May when this happened. And her friends wanted to go to an amusement park together. And uh, she wanted me to go because she wanted me to be close to her friends and things like that. And, and again, this sounds like a very tame one. Like going to an amusement park is a blast, right? Who likes amusement parks? 
Yeah, probably all of you, right? Your pastor does not like amusement parks. In fact, it probably goes beyond does not like. Uh, really, it's because of the things that the amusement park represents. I don't like heat. I'm not a hot weather fan. And generally, when you go to an amusement park, it's 85, 90 degrees. You know, the sun's beating right on, right on top of you. I hate that. Um, I also don't like crowds. I like that we have a small church. I don't want it to get any bigger. I'm, I'm praying that we grow, that we, that we stay, actually, the way we are. Um, no, that's not true. But I don't like crowds. I'm not a fan of hot weather. And I really, really don't like going on rides that spin. Anyone else? But on this occasion, I said, yes, Janine, I will go to this amusement park with you. And I don't think she knew to what degree. I really don't like amusement parks. But uh, So we went to this amusement park in Ohio, Cedar, Cedar Point. You guys have heard of that probably. It's a really nice park, you know, um, so we, we had a pretty good time, but I got really sick. I went on a ride I had no business going on because it brought you way up in, into the air and spun you around and around and around, and you're probably getting sick just thinking about it, and I got really sick. I didn't, I didn't actually, you know, do anything, but um, I felt sick the rest of the day, and then we had to get back in the car with one of her friends who drives like a maniac. I mean, it felt like one of the rides. Um, it was such a bad ride. So that was one of those days I did something for Janine's sake, and I didn't complain that much, I don't think. Maybe I did. Uh, one more example. Um, this is 2012. We were, we were about to have our first child. Haddon was set to be born in July, and so it was, it was February, just like it recently was. And it was right on Valentine's Day I got really sick. I had a flu bug. And I basically ruined the day because I was so sick. I was achy. I had chills. I was just feeling very miserable. But it's Valentine's Day, and you want to do something special on Valentine's Day for your wife, right? And so I felt really guilty all day going, yeah, there's nothing I can do about this. But I felt really bad that it was Valentine's Day, and I couldn't do anything special for my wife. So later on in the day, it was probably you know early in the evening or something like that, I decided to tell Janine, Janine, I'm going to actually go out for a little bit. And she goes, what? You can't. You're not feeling good. I said, I know. I'm, I'll do okay. I'm going to go out and just go get something really quickly. And uh, she wasn't that surprised. It was Valentine's Day. But she said, Todd, you can't go. You're not feeling good. This isn't a good idea. And I said, actually, I just want to. I want to go out just for a little bit. And I'll be fast, but I just want to get you something. So I went to a store. I didn't even really have my bearings because I didn't feel well all day long. I just wanted to stay in bed and under the covers. But I wanted to do something for my wife. And so I went to a store, and I kind of splurged and got her a really nice gift. And I brought it back. I didn't even wrap it because it looks way worse after I wrap it. So I handed her like this little plastic bag and she opened it. She was all touched and I got, you know, huge points for that. And uh, then I made her watch a guy movie uh, to make up for it. No, but that was something I did for my wife's sake. And she's, she's brought that up on several occasions as one of the most touching things I've done because I felt horrible. But did you ever do anything for someone else's sake that you wouldn't normally do? Well, that's going to come up in the text here as we look at 1 Peter 2. And again, I told you, verses 11 and 12, we talked about last week, but I think it's helpful to set the stage for what Peter's going to say to us. So again, look at verses 11 and 12 in your Bible. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And maybe you're already willing, able to see where Peter is coming from. Glorify God on the day of visitation. So the first thing we see from this is Peter sets the stages. You and I need to live like exiles, sojourners and aliens upon this earth. Because if you know scripturally, we are not citizens of earth 
any longer. We are actually citizens of heaven, citizens of the kingdom of God. And isn't that a good thing? Isn't that a good thing that we don't belong to this world? If you know anything about this world, it is spiraling downward. It's getting worse year after year, generation after generation. And Peter says, you are exiles. You're here for a time, but this is not your home. You're a sojourner. You're making a journey through this life. Or even would use this word in scripture you see sometimes called aliens. You're an alien. You're like, you're like an alien living upon this earth. And so what, basically what he's saying is embrace being different. Or we would use the word holy, because really that's what holy means. Set apart, unique, different than the rest of the world. And Peter is saying, live like it. Live like an exile. Live like a sojourner and an alien. I mean, imagine if aliens from other planets actually existed and they came to Earth. We've seen movies like that, countless, right? Imagine if when they came, there was nothing abnormal about them whatsoever. They looked exactly like us. They wore the same exact styles. They spoke exactly the same way. It would be a little strange. In fact, I guess I can almost guarantee you've never seen a movie where aliens came to the earth and they looked exactly like us, right? They're always some weird reptile-looking creature. That's our best guess, right? Um, but basically what Peter is saying is if you're a citizen of heaven, you should look different very different than the rest of the world. So if you could think about it, what should a citizen of heaven look like? Shouldn't it look like the one whom they come from? You've ever been to another culture, right? You're a little bit of a fish out of water. You act like an American. My parents often go to Germany, and I'm sure they hate that, the Germans. Um, no offense. But you act like a fish out of water. You do American things. You speak like an American. And here on earth, we need to act like a citizen of heaven. So Peter is saying that as, as plain as he can. Live like an exile and a sojourner. Colossians 1, 13 to 14. We said this last week, says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you see the transfer we have been transferred, delivered, rescued, whatever word you want to use, from Satan's domain, and now we belong to God. We are now citizens of heaven. And so Peter says, embrace that. Embrace being different. The next thing he says is, fleshly lusts can kill you. Therefore, wage war against your sinful passions. They are there to hurt you, to hurt God, to hurt your soul, and if they can, drag you the other way. So Peter says we need to wage war against our sinful passions. And here's the encouraging thing, which we mentioned last week. We can defeat our sinful passions. We can. Do you know how we do that? By God's strength. By God's help, God grants us and gives us what we need to wage war and defeat things that are there to hurt us and to harm us. And so Peter says, wage war. Take the battle to your sin and defeat it. Conquer it. Because the devil wants us dead. And sin is going to be his vehicle to get us there. So he says, Peter says, take the battle to the devil. Take it to your sins and defeat your sinful lusts. And the last thing he says is, we need to live honorably before this world. Honorably before the unbelievers. So they might, at least on the last day, be able to say and attest, the Christians lived honorably and the Lord is Jesus. 
by our honorable living, which we're going to talk about this entire lesson, the unbelievers, even the world, even those who hate Jesus Christ and the Christians can attest on the last day that we belong to God, that Christians lived honorably, and that Jesus is Lord. And that's important. And we're going to talk about that for the rest of the time. And I want you to notice how verse 13 and verse 18 start. Because they start almost the exact same way. He says in verse 13, be subject. Here's the point that's really important. For the Lord's sake. That's the question I asked you at the beginning. Be subject for the Lord's sake in verse 13. In verse 18, he says, servants, be subject. And the idea of being subject is being submissive. Placing yourself under, obeying the laws of the land, and placing yourself under the authority figures of this land for Christ's sake. Not for their sake and not for your sake, but for his sake. So that what we just mentioned will actually happen. They will attest and say about the Christians, they lived honorably. So we place ourselves under the authority figures of this land. People like the president and the vice presidents, mayors and governors, police officers, anyone who would be in authority here upon this earth, Christians are supposed to place themselves under those people. That's what scripture says. And so you and I, as citizens of heaven, need to actually show our power by submission, by placing ourselves under people that God has allowed to be in these positions. Because you could say, in a way, authority figures represent God. Because they are supposed to be called to do good and do right to people, aren't they? Now, we know they don't always do that. You know, presidents and vice presidents and mayors and governors and police officers can be corrupted. And they can live for selfish things. But generally speaking, they are called to do good and to do right to the people. And in a way, they represent God because that's what God does too. God does right and does good to the people of this world. So he's saying, submit. Place yourselves under, be subject for the Lord's sake, because these people were sent by him to do good and to punish evil. And in a way, they're representing God. But we just learned from chapter 1 that Christians are the most privileged people who have ever lived. That's what Peter says in chapter 1. We are more privileged than the prophets of God. We are more blessed than the angels. And so you would ask this question, why do heirs of the kingdom of God need to place ourselves under sinful man. Why would that be? If we're the most privileged people, if we're the ones who are citizens of heaven, why are we the ones being subject to, being submissive to, placing ourselves under the authority figures of this land? And we're going to get those answers from verses 15 to 16, if you'll look at the Bible with me. Listen to what Peter says. He says, For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. There it is. For this is the will of God. Point blank. As clear as you can, this is God's will. I mean, that should be enough for us to go, oh, that's why. God's will. God wants it this way, so that's enough for me. But then he says we should do it to put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. See, Christians are supposed to be the professional do-gooders. We really are. As Christians, we are supposed to represent to this world what it means to be moral and upright and good. We have people in authority who have been hired to be those people. 
but Christians more so. Because although authority figures can be Christians, generally speaking, they're not, are they? Generally speaking, they've just been hired to do a job. But we, if you're a Christian, have been born of God. That means that we are the professional moral people upon this earth. And we are supposed to live like it. We are supposed to be a representation to this world of how good God is. And that's a really high responsibility, isn't it? So you and I can prove to this world that God's people are good. That we are wholesome, that we are moral by our submission to the laws of the land and those in authority. Because you have to remember, once again, we represent God. I represent God. How I live reflects who he is. And so if this world sees that Christians are good and not evil, they also consider God that way as well because we belong to him. But what if it was the opposite? What if we were selfish and evil and corrupt And then we said, we're Christians. We belong to the God of the universe. That represents him poorly. And that's the whole point. That you and I are supposed to be the moral representation of how good our God is. And yes, we're going to fall short of how good God actually is, but we still have the heavy responsibility to represent him. And he says, by our submission to authority figures, we put to silence the ignorance of those who want to malign Christians as troublemakers just like they attempted to do with the Lord Jesus, right? Jesus was a rebel. He's a troublemaker. We need to eradicate him because he's doing all of these bad things. Did Jesus do anything evil whatsoever? No. All he did was good. All he did was love. All he did was the will of God, and they considered Jesus a troublemaker. Those people, at least now or one day, will be put to shame by those words because our Lord Jesus always was moral always was upright, always was loving, always sought the betterment of God and people here upon the earth. So they attempted to do it to Jesus. They're going to do the same thing to us. But Peter says you can put to silence the ignorance of foolish people by your good doing. If you remember, even with Jesus Christ, Pilate was in the position to basically release Jesus or crucify Jesus. I mean, basically it was Pilate's decision. And we know what Pilate did. He washed his hands of it and said, I'm out of this. You guys do what you need to do. But even Pilate's wife had a dream. If you remember that story, and she came to Pilate and said, I had this dream about this Jesus Christ. She said, have nothing to do with that righteous man. He's righteous. He's moral. I know it. Pilate knew it. And yet he washed his hands of the entire operation. But Jesus represented the goodness of God, didn't he? When you looked at Jesus and you saw good and love and just God-like things. You knew God was like that too. And that was the whole point, because Jesus came here to represent him. And when you and I live humbly and honorably, when we are humble and live honorably, we prove that we are free from the devil's control. Totally free from the devil. But if you notice in the same verse, he says, we're free from the devil, and at the same time, we should be servants of God. Servants of God. I think that's verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Do you notice that in the same verse? Free and servant. Free and a servant. So you're totally free, right? When you think of being totally free, you think of, I'm my own Lord. I'm my own master. I do whatever I want. I do whatever pleases me. But Peter says, now that you are free from the devil, 
who controlled you and owned you and did horrible things to you, make yourselves willing servants of God. Why? Because God is a very, very good master. He's not like the devil in any respect whatsoever. The devil wants to hurt you. He wants to take away your joy, take away your security, take away your treasures. And the Lord is the entire opposite. He's looking out for your best. He wants your life eternally, and he wants your treasures eternally. So Peter says, place yourselves under the authority of God. And we need to start there. Because if you remember, we looked through the entire book of 1 John. And 1 John was all about authenticating our faith, right? The way that you and I can authenticate our faith is by being willing servants of God and living humbly and honorably upon this world. That's how we can know, I can know that I'm a Christian. When I can live honorably and humbly in a world that hates Christians, I can go, I'm born of God. There's no other way I would do that except for God's sake and by God's strength. I want to read you a quote that I found from Matthew Henry. This is a really powerful quote going along with these verses. He says this, To prevent their mistakes, the apostle tells the Christians that they were free. But from what? Not from duty or obedience to God's law, which requires subjection to the civil magistrate, of course. They were free spiritually from the bondage of sin and Satan and the ceremonial law. But they must not make their Christian liberty a cloak or covering for any wickedness or for the neglect of any duty towards God or towards their superiors, but must still remember they were the servants of God. All the servants of Christ are free men. They are free from the Satan's domain, excuse me, Satan's dominion, the law's condemnation, the wrath of God, and the uneasiness of duty and the terrors of death. The servants of Jesus Christ ought to be very careful not to abuse their Christian liberty. They must not make it a cover or cloak for any wickedness against God or disobedience to superiors. Do you see that? We are free. Free from sin. Free from the devil. Free from the chains that held us. Free from the insecurities. Free from the lack of hope. But now we are supposed to place ourselves fully under the authority of God and the people God has called upon this earth. So he says, when, most importantly, when striving to do good, we prove to God, ourselves, and to others, we authenticate the fact that we are servants of God, that he is trustworthy, and that we are victors. Do you notice that? We could prove to this world, we could prove to ourselves and to God, we are his servants. He is trustworthy, because why would we submit to him otherwise? And that we are victors and we're from another kingdom. We can represent God's goodness. And that's a really high calling, isn't it? We've talked about purpose a few weeks, um, but that is a really big purpose to be able to say, I am here to represent the one true God to this world. That's a high calling. That's a really important purpose. And Peter says, embrace it. Embrace it. And we're going to get to why, and he's going to talk about those things here in a little bit. But after he tells us to place ourselves under the general authority of the magistrates and people called here in the world, he says something a little bit more specific. Most of us aren't disrespectful or going to resist general authority figures. I don't think we have a lot of those people here in this church. But what about our own specific authority figures? Because Peter says in verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters. With all respect. Your masters, your bosses, your fathers, your husbands, your pastors. 
Now he gets specific. Those in authority over you, be subject to them with all respect. And listen to the next part. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, notice that phrase, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Christian, be subject to your masters with all respect. Oh, Peter, I get it. The good ones. The good ones. The fair ones. The just ones. Those who treat us well. Of course we should submit to those ones, Peter, because that makes perfect sense. We want to be grateful for the good bosses and authority figures the Lord has given us. That makes perfect sense. But Peter says, no, not only to the good, not only to the gentle, but also to the unjust. Be subject to the unjust and harsh masters in your life. I mean, this just got real, didn't it? We're going to talk about why that is, but listen to what he says. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Why would that be so? Those type of masters don't deserve that, do they? They don't deserve for us to submit and to be honorable and humble before them. They don't deserve it. That's not what they deserve. That's not just. That's not fair. I can understand playing the game and respecting your boss in front of his face so he doesn't fire you. But why would we give the same amount of respect to the gentle, the kind, the good masters as we do to the unkind, the unjust, the unfair, the harsh masters? That's not what they deserve. They deserve for us to go the other way and stand up to them and fight for our rights. But verses 19 to 20 help us gain the right perspective. So direct your attention to verses 19 to 20. Because Peter says, here's the answer. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. See, we have to remember, as we've already stated, that Christians are from another world and another kingdom. We are expected to live as visitors and exiles on the earth. Not even those who belong to the earth. You guys ever go to someone else's home as a child and you were told, be on your best behavior? Don't do what you do at home here. Don't put your feet up on the coffee table. Use a coaster. Be nice. Use your manners. Right? Because this isn't your home. This isn't the place where you kick your shoes off and relax. This is a place where you represent the family. So we must remember that we Christians are from a different kingdom. And we are supposed to live as visitors here. Exiles here. This is not our home. We are aliens and strangers. We are God's people. And that, again, that needs to be embraced. And so Peter says, remember. Then he says this, yes, we should love justice. Justice is a good thing. I don't want anyone walking out of here going, oh, God is against justice. He's against what's fair and what's right. No, we should love justice. In fact, we should fight for justice in the oppressed. We should. We should fight for justice against abortion, against abuse, against all forms of bullying, we should stand for it as Christians because it's not right and it's not just. We should stand for it in those who are oppressed because Jesus did that. But when we are mistreated, this is where it gets different. When you and I are facing specific abuse, we aren't to seek for justice for ourselves, but to strive to act 
graciously. Wow. Now we're talking about mature things here. Stand for injustice against those who are oppressed, but for yourself, endure it. Submit to those who are even harsh because that is a gracious thing. And I think we need to change our perspective today. I think even my perspective can get messed up here in this world because I can start thinking, hey, I don't deserve this kind of treatment. I don't deserve that. I deserve better than that. I'm going to stand up for my rights. I don't deserve to be treated like that. And I have on occasion. Had to get in someone's face and say, I don't deserve that. You should treat me better than that. But we need to change our perspective from I don't deserve this to Lord, give me an opportunity to represent you to this world. Give me that privilege, Lord. If you will give me that opportunity to represent you to this world, I will embrace it. I want it because I want you to be pleased. Do you remember the question I asked you at the beginning? Did you ever do any, for something for anyone that you wouldn't normally do for yourself? Now we're talking about doing things for Christ's sake. Not for yours. Not for mine. So if we can change our perspective from, I don't deserve this. You ever go to a restaurant and they mess up your order really bad? You know, if they get one thing wrong, it's like, okay, I can live with that. You know, whatever. Uh, I asked for potato wedges and I got fries, whatever. But if they really mess up your order, right? It's not, it's not fair. It's not just. And this is really foreign to just go, it's okay. It's okay. It's not fair. It's not what I asked for. It's not really what I deserve. But it's okay. And I think this is a really foreign concept to us because America loves our rights, don't we? We love our rights, and rights are not a bad thing. Do not misrepresent what Peter is saying. Rights are a good thing. When we stand for rights and have rights in America, that is a good thing. But we're talking about something incredibly mature here. Jesus is asking for us to put our rights aside for his sake. Wow. He's asking for our love so that we can represent him to this world. He's asking for us to go from give me better, give me more, treat me fairly to Lord, give me an opportunity to love you. Give me an opportunity to re represent you to this world. Do you see how mature that is? Has anyone ever prayed for that? Lord, give me a chance to stand for your name in something that's difficult. And we live in a difficult world that treats, that treats Christians really unfairly and unjustly. It's all over the media. But aren't those opportunities to represent God, to act graciously? See, God loves justice as well. He does. God loves justice more than you and I can comprehend. In fact, it came from God. God is the author of justice. He loves it more than we can know. He sent Jesus to die for our sins because God was unwilling to act unjust toward our sin because he loves justice. He can't just sweep the sins under the rug and act like they never happened. They have to be paid for. And because God is just, he sent a payment to this earth called the Lord Jesus Christ. But God is also gracious, isn't he? Aren't you thankful that God is gracious? Aren't you thankful that the only thing you don't get from God is justice? What is fair? What is deserving? What if that's all we got from God? What was fair, what was deserving would be destruction for our sins, for our evil deeds, for our rebellion against God. If all we got from God was justice, 
we would be doomed. But God isn't just just. He's also gracious. And Jesus is the primary example of this. When Jesus saw injustice toward the widows and the orphans and the poor, he called people out for it, didn't he? But when Jesus was mistreated, when he faced injustice, Jesus sought to give mercy and turn the other cheek. Do you notice that? Fought for it in the oppressed, but for himself, he embraced it, and he took it, and he turned the other cheek. Why? Because Jesus trusted God. Jesus trusted God's plan for perfect, timely justice. Jesus, too, loved justice. But he was not sent to enact justice upon this world. He was sent to be merciful, to be gracious, and to offer salvation for mankind, wasn't he? And that's exactly what he did. But Jesus also trusted that one day, the day of justice will come. And those who mistreated Christ, and those who abused Christians, will one day find God's justice if they don't repent. There is a day where justice is coming, and Jesus trusted that. So he could act graciously upon the earth. He could turn the other cheek. He could be merciful. He could be kind. He could put his rights aside and live for the will of God because he's a victor. He was going to win, wasn't he? He was going to be crucified, and three days later, he was going to win. He was going to rise from the grave, and he was going to ascend back to heaven, and he was going to have his enemies one day be a footstool for his feet. And he's saying to us, you too will win. You are victors. You have to trust the process. Live for God, live for Christ for their sake and face this kind of abuse and one day justice will come. See, Christ left the example for us. If you look at verse 21 to 23, listen to what it says. For to this you, Christian, have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. I mean, that's the entire of Christianity right there. He suffered for you so that you would do what he called you so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Do you see the pattern of our Lord Jesus? Strive for justice towards the oppressed, but suffer injustice for yourself for the sake of God. That is justice and gracious kissing each other, coming together. I am just, I stand for it in the oppressed, but I am also gracious. I let injustice happen to me. And Jesus put his own rights and privileges aside for the sake of the will of God and the needs of others. And we're talking about living honorably and humbly as Christians. But how humble was our Lord Jesus? See, Jesus fell. When he fell, he fell from the Son of God. When Jesus gave his rights aside, it was different than me giving my rights aside. Because Jesus has more significance than I do. He's more powerful. He's more rich. He's more special. When Jesus falls, he falls from heaven. Versus me, I fall from a chair. When Jesus gave up his rights, that was an enormous thing to give up. When I give up my rights, it's not that big of a fall. But Jesus gave up the rights of the Son of God. And so he's given us a pattern. He's given us a pattern of what we should do. Strive for justice. Strive for it. Fight for it. 
and those who are oppressed, stand up for it, because even by doing that, you will find injustice towards yourself. But when that happens, put your rights aside and be gracious and submit and prove to this world you're a victor and you belong to somewhere else. But why would anyone do this? Why would anyone give up our rights and embrace suffering? Why? That is so foreign. Why would we give up our rights as Americans, as earthly citizens, and embrace suffering? Because Peter says, when mindful of God. In other words, when we suffer injustice and continue to do good and show respect in the face of suffering, it proves these three things. Number one, it proves that we believe in God and trust that he will properly hand out justice when it's time to do so. See, if God has a day of justice and God's in control and God is going to make all the wrongs right one day, I don't have to right now. I don't have to. And there's another reason I shouldn't. I'm really bad at it. I'm really bad at handing out perfect justice, aren't you? I'm often skewed in my mind or in my emotions by things. But God hands it out perfectly and fairly in his timely justice. So that when you and I suffer uh, and embrace suffering and give up our rights, we prove that we believe in God. We authenticate it. And that one day we know that he will hand out perfect justice when it's time to do so. It also proves this, that we follow the Lord Jesus Christ by example, by example, not just to say, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, my sins have been forgiven, but I follow my Lord Jesus and his example. That's actually what it means to follow him. Look what he did, listen to his teachings, and put them into practice in your life and go the exact way our Lord Jesus went. Well, how did our Lord Jesus go? He gave up his rights and he suffered and he turned the other cheek. And now he's saying to us, do that also. Do it also. So it proves when we're doing this that we follow the Lord Jesus Christ by example. And the third thing it proves is what we've stated many times already, that we belong to another world. It proves that this isn't our home. This isn't our homeland. I don't belong to the earth. I live upon the earth. But I belong to the kingdom of God. I belong to heaven. And when I do this, I act like an alien. I act like a stranger in an exile because who else would do that? Who else would willingly give up their rights, make themselves willful servants of God, submit to even evil magistrates, and embrace suffering? Who would do that? Only an alien would do that. Only a stranger in an exile would do that. That would stand out like a sore thumb on this earth because everyone is fighting for their own rights and their own good treatment. But Christians should be the opposite. So notice this thing, this thread that we find here in 1 Peter 2. There's this idea in media, unfortunately, that God's name can be used any way they want. God's name is profaned a lot, isn't it? One of the most common phrases I ever hear in media when people are taking God's name in vain is this saying, for God's sake, for Christ's sake. Have you ever heard that as a curse in vain all the time? I hear it a lot for God's sake and for Christ's sake. But you find in Scripture this thread and this theme that this is the entire point. This helps make sense of the entire Word of God. When he asks us to do hard things, and you're like, why? That makes my life worse here upon the earth. Why would I do that? And he says, for God's sake, for Christ's sake. And you start to get it. You go, oh, it's not for me. It's not for me. It's for him. And I want to notice, I want to lay before you three, three passages right in a row, right here in the text. 
And I want you to listen to what he says. In verse 13, Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. In verse 19, he says, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And then he says in verse 21, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Do you notice that? For God's sake, for Christ's sake. When we are ambassadors for Christ, we represent God and the Lord Jesus Christ to this world. And we are Christ's ambassadors, aren't we? We are representing him to this world. It is the finest privilege in the history of time to have opportunities on this earth to represent our God to those who hate him. To say in our minds, in our hearts, whatever makes him look good. That is my life. That is what I live for. Whatever makes my God look good. Whatever represents him to this world, that's what I want to live for. That's an incredibly mature thing to think. Because this world knows what they know about our God, not through the scriptures, because most of them don't read the scriptures. They know what they know about God through what we set before them. Think about it. This world knows what they know about our God through our testimony of him. I may have used this illustration before, but I'm going to use it again. When I was ring shopping for Janine, a lot of stories about Janine today. I wish she was here. Um, when I was ring shopping for Janine, uh, almost 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, actually, um, I went to a bunch of different uh, ring places. Rings, what do you call them? Jewelry stores. And uh, <laughs> clearly, clearly not, not good at this. Um, but I, I wanted to get a really special ring. I wanted it to be something she would cherish and treasure for the rest of her life. And so I must have went to six or eight of these jewelry stores. And I, every, every single store I went to, I asked the person there, could you please bring the ring out for me? And I want to see like six or a dozen of these things. Just, I want to make the right choice. And every time I looked at the ring, it was kind of hard to see in the display case. I could tell they were pretty, but I wanted her to bring the ring out right in front of me so I could see them really up close. And she was willing to do it. Every single one was, yes, more than willing. They're trying to sell rings. So, yes, I'll bring the ring out. You can look at as many as you want. And I was looking at rings, trying to find the best one. And I noticed that every single case, jewelry case, that was holding the rings was spotless. It was gorgeous. The, the light was perfect. The, the, there were fingerprint proof. There were no finger smudges upon the glass cases making the rings look poorly. But even myself, I wanted to see the ring up close because I was thinking the cases are actually embellishing the beauty of the ring. So I'm a little skeptical. I want to see this ring right in front of my face with all the, you know, with all the trappings. And so let's bring this ring right in front of me and let me see that. But what I was actually noticing when I was seeing the rings up close is they were actually more beautiful up close to my eye than they were in the display cases. But you know what I noticed about those display cases? If they had been smudged, dirty, or the lighting had been very poor, you know what I probably would have done? I probably would have moved on. If I was looking at really gorgeous rings, which the rings were gorgeous, but I wasn't seeing them properly through the display cases, I would have thought the rings themselves were ugly and not worth my money, and I would have moved on to another store. So they have to keep those things brilliant. They have to keep them perfect. They have to get all the fingerprints off of those things. Make sure the lighting is gorgeous because what they're trying to do is represent the ring well. Do you get the point? We are the display cases to this world. Now God, if you get a glimpse of God, if you get a glimpse of our Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't need any help, does he? 
He is most beautiful right in front of your face. The more clearly you see Jesus, the more beautiful he will be. But he has allowed us to display him, to represent him as jewelry cases. And if our lives are full of smudges and dirt and grime and the light is dim, then people are going to see our God that way. So this is a really high responsibility that we can represent our Lord well. And I don't make the Lord beautiful. That's not my point. The Lord is beautiful on his own. But I do have the high calling, and so do you, to represent him properly. Isn't that a privilege? Isn't that a privilege to say, look at my God through my lifestyle, and you will see something otherworldly? Jesus Christ suffered the greatest injustice ever toward himself so that three things would happen. And I want you to notice every single one of these things have nothing to do with him. So that we would die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus faced such injustice, such harsh treatment. He was crucified, he was mocked, he was scorned, he was beaten with rods. So that I would die to sin, so that you would die to sin and live to righteousness. Number two, he did it so that we would be healed and have spiritual life. And number three, he would return, we would return to God and represent him on the earth. Listen to what it says in verse 24. He himself bore our sins and his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep and now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That is why Jesus faced such injustice. That is why Jesus embraced suffering. That is why Jesus made himself a willing servant of God, a willing servant of man, and died on a cross so that I would die to sin and live to righteousness, so that you and I would be healed and have spiritual life, and so that you and I would return to God and now represent him on the earth. In other words, love. The reason Jesus faced such injustice is because he loved God and he loved us. So the way we'll finish is similar to the way we finished before. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy for you and I to continue representing God on this earth as his ambassadors. Because Jesus isn't on the earth any longer. It's now our job. He left us to continue his work that he started. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are the representation of God to this earth. So he's worthy of that. He's also worthy for us to suffer injustice for his sake as he did for ours, because that's what we get. We get to now give Christ back a present as well. We've received such gift, such a present from the Lord Jesus, and now it's our turn to give back, so we too can suffer injustice for his sake. And Jesus is also worthy for this, for us to live for the will of God because of the great promises we have waiting for us, thanks to his blood. Isn't Jesus worthy? Christian? redeemed person that's been rescued and delivered from the devil's domain isn't jesus worthy for us to have an opportunity and a life to use for him and give back similar to the way he gave to us don't you want to give christ something something that he would treasure something that he would find pleasure from something that would glorify his name for the rest of eternity we get to by submission by putting our rights aside by acting like Christ did. So one of the last questions I have for you today is, who do you belong to? 
Who do you belong to? If we belong to the earth, it makes sense that we got to get all our treasures in good treatment now. We have to, because this is the best we get. If we belong to the earth, just like many do, there's no hope for a future, there's no heaven in their minds, in their hearts, they have to get all their good treatment and all their treasures now, because that's all they get. So if we belong to the earth, we have to get it now. And that makes perfect sense. But if we belong to heaven, and there's an eternal paradise, and glory, and joy, and treasures coming to us, we can sacrifice all our earthly treasures. We can give them up. We can give up our good treatment. We can sacrifice our rights. We can even embrace suffering because we await eternal treasures and joy. The day is coming when the injustices will be made right. When the treasures that you and I lost out on will not only come back to us, but come back to us a hundredfold. So now God says, put them aside. Put them away for my sake. And here's the other thing. is We don't even miss out on justice. God will hand out perfect justice to those who mistreated us. He will. That's all over scripture. So we don't miss out on justice. We simply have to wait for it. We have to wait for it and trust God's perfect time and plan to hand out justice in his own way. So we don't even have to give away our justice. We just have to wait for it. So who do you belong to? Is Jesus your Lord? Is he your Lord? Are you a willing servant of God and free from the devil? If he's not your Lord, that's where it has to start. Is he your Lord? If not, please come and speak to me because there's no step two unless you've embraced Christ by faith. Number two, though, is Jesus your pattern of life? Is he your pattern of life? Do you want to follow Jesus or do you just want to avoid hell? Because some of us try to get that, right? I just want to, to avoid hell and I want to go back to my life. But Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. So is he your pattern of life? Is he my pattern of life? Can I look at my life and say, my Lord Jesus lived this way also. I live this way because he first lived this way. So is he your pattern of life? Number three, is he your hope of a future? Is Jesus your hope for a future? Are your treasures being kept securely by God in heaven? If so, isn't that a confident place to be? That is a confident place to be to say, I will never lose what is truly valuable to me because God himself is guarding it. I will not lose my life. I will not lose my treasures. I will not lose my joy and my security because it's being by guarded by God. So is Jesus your hope for a future? Because that makes sense of everything we're talking about today. If you have a hope of a future, you can lay aside your earthly rights. And number four, is Jesus worthy for you to live honorably and humbly before this world? Is he honestly in your heart worthy of this? What about Jesus? What about him? Let's ask that question more. What can Jesus get from our lives? Let's change the perspective to what can I get? How, more can, how much more can I get? What kind of better treatment can I get? How much more success can I have? And let's ask this question. What about Jesus? What can he get? What can the Lord Jesus get from my life? And it's very simply. It's very simple. Let us simply give unto Jesus what he has given unto us. I asked Paul to read that passage from Hebrews 13 this morning. And I want to just read a portion of it once again. And I want you to listen to the words of it. It says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate. And think about what that means. 
in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Is that what you want today, Christian? Is Jesus worthy for us to lay aside our rights and our lives like he thought we were worthy of? Do you belong to Jesus through faith? If not, please come talk to me. Because you will gain the hope and the security beyond what this world can give you. And if you do belong to Jesus, will you begin to or continue living like an honorable, humble citizen of heaven? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction and the light you give us. We would not know this otherwise. We would stumble in the dark. We would all try to guess our way. But Father, you give us such clear instruction. You tell us exactly how we should live. And not only that, you give us the strength to do it. And we praise you and give you all the glory for that, Father, because if and when we get to heaven, it will be entirely to your credit. Because you gave us Christ, you gave us the Holy Spirit, you gave us the instruction, and you empowered us to live the way you want us to. Father, help us to do that this very day. Help us to see that we can give to you in a similar fashion that you gave to us. And for that to be a true privilege, to live honorably and humbly to this world as a representation of how good our God is. We thank you for this opportunity to study this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.